a Radio 1 91FM podcast. I'm joined by me old mate Olivier Joutel. Morena to you, sir. Kia ora, good morning. How are you? I'm great, Jamie. Yeah? All things considered. Mm, normally, I go on the radio, I say I'm great, but normally when people see me, I'm like, oh, you know, not too bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm right. surviving. But oh. on the radio, I'm happy. <laughs> well, it's just good to have you here. Even though we're going to talk about something, um, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we're going uh, to kind of talk about social media uh, and the rise of hate messages, hate groups on there, how they have contributed to uh, indoctrinating uh, many followers through meme culture, mm-hmm. um, through simple, um, s- simple messages uh, that slowly build up um and, and when i when i say that i'm talking about the overton window uh, which yeah I'm, which i'm sure you 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 know of um you know how the, how you make a palatable palatable idea like in the south um in confederate heritage and how you you, you shift somebody's ideal from that slowly into names. straight white nationalism yeah that's actually that's that's the really interesting thing about i mean i'll just how, how do we bring this back to things like the alt-right and Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro, which are really popular Mm. on YouTube, which is to say we are the great liberals standing forth and asking questions about sacred cows and using facts and logic. And and of course, these are people that don't care about whatever traditional liberal values of freedom of speech. And, you know, Ben Shapiro particularly has been a guy that's, you know, tried to harass pro-Palestinian academics, journalists, whatever out of public life who's very pro anti BDS legislation and all the rest of it um, because they understand that concepts like freedom of speech are are about power mm. and uh, any society has like a kind of as you say an Overton window or some sort of consensus on on what speech is, is permittable and and you know I think these people you know we can argue about intent and how much uh, their rhetoric you know how how much they know what they're doing like i mean i think jordan peterson's a guy who doesn't he's he's fallen into this online world i'm not there's no excuse for him but i he uh, doesn't know what he's talking about a lot of the time which is which is interesting but they're yeah very much about pushing that kind of boundaries and just asking questions and and opening up um in particular online spaces that for a, a range of kind of a, of structural reasons are are predisposed to to these, um, you know, forms of hate, and I think there's a, there's an economic logic. I don't want to just. All right, here's how I'd frame a conversation about the effect of social media on our political culture. I don't want it to be like a thing where it's like, oh, you know, the kids in Fortnite or video games are doing X, or Marilyn Manson is, you know, having this effect on child shoot. It's not that kind of conversation. And not should, moral majority. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's actually it's at the structural level of what it means that our public spaces and our social relations are fundamentally uh, driven, manipulated by American tech corporations uh, and and tech oligarchs um, Mm -hmm. with a very narrow set of interests that don't align with, uh, you know, our our national interests, if you will. Um, Sorry, a lot lot there. There is a lot there. (laughs) I want to know, I mean, to do... Companies like Facebook and Twitter, do they really have a responsibility to moderate content um, that is subjective, like the beginning, like I said before, like Confederate heritage, how that can quickly turn into white supremacy and to white nationalism? Do do they really... I mean, and how how do you think they can actually do that? Here's here's how I think we frame this. The, The whole economic model 
of Facebook, Twitter, and all the rest of these platforms. It's really interesting that they're called platforms because a platform just is like, it's an infrastructure, it's a stage, we don't control what uh, inhabits the platform. There's a kind of, um, their very ability to make money and, and this is indicative of Silicon Valley, right? When they, what's the mantra? Move quickly and break things. Mm. They mm. exist to break down public consensus, to work, to needle away at laws that have been forged, you know, over, you know, kind of decades or centuries or whatever around some of these issues on, on speech, hate speech, um, and our, again, our capacity as a public to, to, to kind of legislate on, on these issues. So... The governing uh, act, if you will, that allowed uh, Facebook and these platforms to emerge and be profitable is the 1996 Telecommunications Act, and there's a little clause in there, the Communications Decency Act 230, um, which basically says, look, Facebook, Twitter are this kind of infrastructure, they're a platform, they're bookshelves, but they are not like legally liable for whatever gets put on their, their bookshelves, mm -hmm. right? So that means... They could develop in this in, a, in this kind of you know wild west frontier way with no you know complete disavow. We're not publishers, right? Obviously, if a newspaper publishes what they publish, they would have all types of uh, they would be on the hook legally, mm -hmm. and that variability is what allowed them to to grow exponentially to be the place uh, that was a kind of you know that could coalesce various kind of social forces some of them you know positive connecting with grandma overseas whatever and and some of it you know this other stuff now there are calls to get Facebook and Twitter and all the rest of it to kind of step up and acknowledge um, what's happened on their platforms now the thing here is that these are not quote honest partners that with any sense of, of moral compunction or responsibility for this because, again, their economic model is based on not taking responsibility for this. Um, and it's, it's, there's, I mean, I can give you some other examples of how it's kind of baked into the economics of this. Um, you know, for ex everybody's talking about Cambridge Analytica. This mm. was this big scandal that happened uh, post-Brexit, post-Trump. And it was this really evil, um, uh, very conservative... Uh, you know, right-wing data firm that was doing all these things and was running kind of Trump's analytics team, and they kind of sneakily took a bunch of data um, that they didn't have uh, proper access to. Now, it's really on the margins. Like, yes, they they did violate some terms, um, but but in a certain way, Cambridge Analytica was scapegoated because Cambridge Analytica, and and they are uniquely evil, and the guy that runs it is an absolute you know uh, cartoon villain. Um, but they essentially do what Facebook does, you know? They micro kind of target every single kind of iteration. They create massive data sets for, you know, people that can buy data sets for grandmas to defraud with email phishing, whatever. Like, you know, a Facebook is Wild West in, in, in that regard. Um, the other things, like Facebook was selling ad content to the Trump campaign much cheaper than Hillary Clinton because people who engage with the Trump stuff get angry. Get riled up and get stuck on the platform. The more they're stuck on the platform, going insane, the more you know Facebook is getting value from their engagement. So yeah. this is baked into the economics of this, and um, we can talk about the algorithms. I mean, the thing about the algorithm and, and about content moderation is again, there's this call to say Facebook step up, tweak the algorithm, get rid of the Nazis. Now they have announced. Uh, that they're you know essentially deep platforming white supremacist sites, and that's obviously a good thing in the short term. Um, 
But again, the logic that got them to that point and how they'd previously kind of adjudicated on this is really telling. Um, and there is a problem. Content moderation is not done by a bunch of experts. They don't have a panel of professors who are experts in white nationalism or different forms of extremism. Um, they basically ship, they, they construct content moderation manuals that are convoluted, contradictory, and then outsource it to people who work in air-conditioned offices in Arizona for $25,000 a year, completely stressed out and have to make you know, a, a, a moderation decision every 30 seconds. It, it's, it's sorry, Byzantian kind of, it's crazy stuff. But so we can't trust them with the algorithm. We can't trust them to have a kind of ethical core. And I think we do need to be having conversations about how we imagine social media in our public life in a way that, you know, bypasses the tech oligarchy, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, essentially, Facebook is a, a Western platform, right? I mean, two billion active users. Uh, m a vast majority of those will be um, white. Well, uh, I mean, there's obviously they're really huge in India, but they are an American corporation. Yeah. I think is the key yeah. is the key so, thing. I mean, a lot of their ads are targeting you know white people. Um, well, not necessarily just white people, but like, like you were saying, like mm -hmm. you know, they want to hold. Um, people like white nationalists and stuff like that, they, they rage, they're online, they've got the big online groups, they stay online a lot. So And they're the generally middle class, middle Americans, do you know what I mean? Like that's, uh, they're not a, they're a reasonably important economic mm. group, if you will, right? So um, you don't want to, so that's, that's the thing about online users is your value is based on obviously, you know, how much uh, you can be sold on to marketers and all the rest of it. So, uh, and and that is again reflected when we talk about hate speech, right? You know, everyone uh, knows about the ethnic uh, violence and genocide that that happened in Myanmar. Mm. And I mean, listen, Facebook did not have translators, right? Working, they they that's how this thing kind of uh, raged online. They didn't have the language capacity to moderate because Myanmar economically is not you know yeah is less significant or i mean you see this all the time in the pacific right so like you want to report hate speech or whatever but like they don't have the language capacity for very specific languages or or pidgin english or all the rest of it because that's a sector of the world that's economically not important to an american corporation yeah yeah it's not completely insignificant but yeah um why do you think you know because we're all on facebook we're all using our own names yeah, but, you know, but why do you, it's, so we're not? It's not exactly an anonymous thing. I mean, people have fake profiles. And mm -hmm, stuff like that, mm -hmm. But why? Why are platforms like this? Why do you think you know these people wouldn't necessarily march in the streets? Now, some of them have. Charlotte Hill mm -hmm. brought out a lot, and that was yep, yep. You know, uh, and we've seen the fallout from that. Um, but why do you think that you know they can hide behind their own names online and feel comfortable to do that? I mean, I guess this comes to like the the question of of doxing people and reporting people I mean the KKK wore hoods yeah yeah that's right that's right um, yeah no that's that is interesting like in a sense we can get forms of internet justice for you know uh, some of the guys the Nazis that were marching in Charlottesville um, a lot of these people were identified and outed mm -hmm. and um, that's it's interesting though because we're embodying the surveillance values that's kind of hard baked into the system. So of course I want Nazis to lose their jobs and lose social standing. 
But at the same time, like, you know, I'm not a huge fan of what like policing and fit, you know what I mean, uh, does to our, I, in a, all right, so it basically, again, we embody individually the kind of social media logic of turning social relations into forms of data that we can group and organize. So such and such likes this likes that that means they're a concentric circle or a venn diagram within the alt-right i mean i'm not saying that that's those aren't correct assessments but again it comes back to the question of how much social media has changed the way we think about yeah our social lives and our mm. connections with other people um yeah yeah i mean it's like you, you know i mean formerly uh back in the day to f you might find a like-minded person at a pub mm -hmm. in the toilet you know like having a person you might like hear you know <laughs> overhear a conversation about some white nationalist bullshit you know i mean it was you know or you might find a leaflet in the mail yeah no all right, go, so yeah this, you know absolutely so i knew someone growing up um who'd uh obviously uh gone completely wild on that route and it was a question of like you had to smuggle pamphlets and literature. Mm. Like, um, but, you know, uh, Jason Wilson, who's a great reporter at The Guardian, um, everybody go read his stuff. He's the best writer on um, the alt-right stuff happening in the U.S. He dug up an article from the early 80s in the New York Times, which was talking about how early kind of, um, not quite internet, but phone registries, computer-based phone registries were being used by white supremacists and neo-Nazis to organize. Like, so if you think of the logic of online organization as, you know, cellular, right? So like individuals mm. um, kind of coalescing across time and space, um, then yes, you know, if you're a white supremacist, you're large, you, you know, most likely going to be in the minority like online is at that kind of structural level a very useful organizational tool um, but it's also to bring it back to to your kind of first point about about messaging in the Overton window um, these are really savvy savvy users of online um, particularly in, 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 in figuring out how to pollute online language and online meme culture I, I'll give you a really quick example um, there was this hacker, his name uh, is Weave, and um, he was a bit of, he, and just to bring it back to hacker culture, like hacker culture has always been, you know, to, to 4chan or all the rest of it, has always been about, quote, the lulls, right? So just like doing things for kind of transgressive enjoyment and LOL lulls. Um, and, you know, a lot, so when it comes to using the F word or racial slurs, like the way Smurfs say the word Smurf, Mm. That's part of this culture-forming thing. But, of course, um, th that was also solidified with Web 2.0 and early blogging platforms that allowed more diverse people to come online. So there's been a lot of w angry white men online toy-chucking for the last 10, 15 years of online. That's been, like, kind of, again, a hard-baked feature uh, into this. But this guy, this guy Weave, he was a bit of a um, hacker-cause celeb. He was kind of adjacent to the group Anonymous. And... People thought that you know his 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 racism and all the rest of it was oh it's just an act to be shocking and and like left wingers were write, writing glowing portraits of this guy he got a book um, where an, an academic for Verso which is this big left left wing uh, academic press basically you know uh, glorified him and all the rest of it now this is the guy who launched quote Operation Pepe which was to take yeah. 
the meme, Pepe the Frog, which we all know, and, you know, Matt Fury's uh, comic is a lovely, delightful comic, but they basically, he launched an online operation through websites like Stormfront um, to weaponize the Pepe meme, which is now obviously a symbol of the alt-right. So, and that, you know, so whether we're talking about the OK symbol, whether we're talking about kind of ironic racism or any of these things, that's how they kind of weaponize and pollute this general confusion of, of online space um, and you know that's the thing when we come down to Facebook and the algorithm um, you know one I don't like it because again the more we empower Facebook to deal with this problem as opposed to empowering ourselves to take responsibility over these big companies that's that's not great but two you know how do you code language <coughs> in such a way that's gonna catch kind of, quote, ironic racism and all these yeah. cultural signifiers that the alt-right have well, constructed. The, well, like I said, the, 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 um, you know, stuff just like Confederacy and, uh, you yeah. know, I, I love my flag, my heritage. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's subjective, right? I mean, some people will see that as racism. Other people will see that as, as something, you know, that's just supporting you, where you're from and who you are. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing is like, you know, you could say uh, a phrase like, um, you know, F white supremacy or F the fash <clears throat> and get, you know, have your uh, whatever um, face a, a, a temporary ban or whatever. But if you say, look, you know, six million, I'm not sure. Or, um, you know, Hitler didn't have all the worst ideas or whatever. Like, that's not necessarily like going to spark that red flag, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, again, we're in this moment where we feel. We're angry with social media platforms, rightfully, and, and Helen Clark, you know, uh, let Zuckerberg have one. Um, but uh, and, and that statement's interesting for a couple of different reasons as well. But we don't, in our anger, want to, in a sense, give them... Th there's all this, like, oh, you know, they've got so many geniuses from Stanford, you know? Why don't they spend some time looking at this issue? It's because, again, move quickly, break things. They don't care, but also it's... If you've looked at any of these Silicon Valley uh, companies from Netflix to Theranos, they're cults. Like, yeah. seriously, they're friggin' cults. The cult of the programmer, the cult of tech to, you know, techno-solutionism to figure out all social problems, the um, or the ability of tech to kind of, you know, transform everything into binary code, you know. Um, that's not... a that's not a complex enough view of the social world to, 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 to kind of rise to the challenges that we're facing right now. Just quickly, I've got more things to ask, but we're running out of time. I know, I'll go um, short. Is what's happening with Facebook and deplatforming and whatnot, is that, I mean, isn't that just going to hardline a lot of people and like drive them into 4chan and 8chan? Well, that's the thing is Alex Jones deplatformed and, and was, uh, yeah, he's doing fine. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's, doing, he's still doing fine. Um, I mean, part of that is Alex Jones' brand. Um, it is very difficult. I don't know what the research says about whether undercutting a critical mass um, to just basic levels of exposure um, has the effect of... I mean, is, is this the question of reducing numbers of people that are subjected to a range of, of different kind of political messages, or is it about the you know, top 10% of those who are stream, extremely politicized around, you know, white nationalist issues or all the rest of it. So, you know, I, I couldn't really comment, but one of the problems with deplatforming, um, I mean, particularly in response to this Russia stuff, is you have uh, neocon think tanks like the Atlantic Council that are like the chief editors of 
Facebook's disinformation kind of newsfeed stuff. So, because again, everything Facebook does is political to avoid regulation. Mm. They want to avoid regulation at all costs. Their business model is based on not taking responsibility. So, in response to Russia stuff, oh, these neocons, yep, great, they're honest brokers, we'll put them on, and of course, all these radical left-wing sites became deplatformed. Sites like Copwatch that were based on, you know, an, you know, anti-police brutality. So, yeah. um, you know, again, Facebook is not to be trusted. <laughs> to do, to do, yeah. There, it's in it. Like, there's good companies, there's bad companies. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult. Like, how good a company could be on these kinds of issues. But we know Facebook is a really bad company. And I mean, Sheryl Sandberg, who's supposed to be this feminist icon, in 2017, there was a, a grassroots group called Delete Facebook that was launched. This is this is how soulless a company they are. She went to the Anti Defamation League, which is a uh, mm -hmm. kind of Jewish rights civil rights organization to get them to produce a document that said that this delete Facebook group was anti-Semitic. And then she went to right-wing political oppo firms in the U.S. to get them to run all of these stories that this delete Facebook group was part of the George Soros conspiracy. Yeah. yeah. So she did all this whipped-up anti-Semitism. And then she went to uh, Congress to, like, um, you know, talk about her grandparents escaping the Holocaust. I mean, like... <laughs> That's so soulless. I, I I gotta say, she's like she's like Bernie Bomb Bomb in Miller's Crossing. Like, hey, I'll just squirt a few and you'll let me go again, Tom. You know you can't kill me, Tom. Like, that's. <laughs> That's who these people are. I'm really sorry. And I'll just really last thing I'll say, Jeremy Corbyn's talking about a, a BBC style social media platform. We had something like this in France called Minitel. You know, Facebook is not the end all. It's not the final destination point of what online public life could be. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, Olivier Jusel, thank you very much for joining me this morning. Had to, had to work in that Miller's Crosses, uh, Crossing <laughs> reference. It's probably my favorite Collins. That was a Radio 1 91 FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.